Welcome to Bike Talk, streaming at KPFK Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, California, and Pacifica Radio affiliate Valley Free Radio in Florence, Massachusetts. First, we have the head of the California Bicycle Coalition, Dave Snyder. This interview is with Taylor Nichols. I'm Taylor Nichols on Bike Talk, and I'm here with the real champion of the cause, Dave Snyder, who is the head of CalBike. Welcome to the show again. You've been here before, and it's good to have you back. Thank you, Taylor. Yeah, we're real friends of Bike Talk, formally and informally. California Bicycle Coalition is the statewide bicycle advocacy organization. We work to change the policies at the state level that make it easier for people at the local level to do what's really necessary to make our communities more equitable and more bike friendly. And that's put in protected bike lanes to change the streets so that it's easy for someone to jump on a bike for their everyday trips. That's the thing that everyone talks about. They're scared to get on the bike. They always say to me, you must be crazy to ride your bike to the store. And so that's hugely helpful and gets everybody on bikes, not just hardcore bikers. Exactly. I think most people would enjoy riding a bike if they felt it were safe. Tell me what you guys are working on. We have a bunch of bills that we're pushing, including one single most important priority, which is we are requesting a $500 million allocation for bikeway networks so that cities can apply and build entire networks of protected bikeways at once. This would be in addition to the current way cities apply for funds to build bikeway networks. Currently, they apply for funds for one project at a time, one bike lane at a time, one path at a time. And what happens is that they end up building these really nice bike lanes here and there but they don't connect to each other. And they especially don't connect to each other if the connection requires a politically difficult decision, like removing parking in front of some popular businesses. And there's not enough of an incentive in any state funding pot to encourage mayors to make those decisions. The mayors get rewarded with millions and millions of dollars of bikeway funding without much consideration to whether or not they're building a network. And so you look at every community's bike plans and you would conclude from the lines on the map that, well, this is pretty good. You know, when this plan is done, people will be able to ride a bike in this city. But then you look at the funding and you look at the schedule and you realize that none of those plans are going to be done for the next 20 or 30 years. Right, And we can't wait that long. Right. 20, 30 years from now is too late to give people the option to realistically ride bikes. We're not going to come close to solving our climate goals if we have to wait that long. So this is a proposal to reward those cities that are willing to do the whole network at once with grants as large as $100 million at a pop wow. to build the entire network at once. It's a new way of doing it that no one has tried before at least not in a competitive grant program. We're really excited and really hopeful that the legislators will decide to prioritize biking and 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 walking through this program. And where are you in the process? Yeah, it is the kind of thing that you need a group like ours to do because it is all behind the scenes. The budget process is negotiated in private meetings with the legislators and the key leaders in both the assembly and the Senate and the governor's office. And once they come to an agreement behind the scenes, They draft up the budget and put it out to the main floor for a vote. And everyone's expected to just vote up or down on it. No changes or anything. There's not even really much of a hearing on the final budget proposal. So it's it's all behind the scenes work. Is that the kind of thing, though, that our listeners can call their state assemblymen or something like that? 
The target in this case would be the governor's office. We will give members of CalBike, and all you got to do to join is sign up on our website. We will give members of CalBike the chance to take action when we've prepared the target. We're not ready for that yet. Okay. Great. Thanks for telling me because I wasn't aware of that. And I think everybody has ridden on a bike lane and then all of a sudden it just stops and you're stuck on the curb of a really busy street without any protection at all. So Exactly. I mean, one bad intersection is enough to make someone decide, I don't want to ride a bike. And that's a beautiful bike path. You're also working on fighting a bill that's out right now, AB3371. And this is about bike share. And in Los Angeles, bike share is just getting going. There are kiosks around town and they're growing. And I think people are just starting to use them. So why is there a bill to kill bike share now? And I'm so glad you're fighting it. But I wonder if you could talk about that. Bike share is just getting started in LA and all over California. There's no place in California that has really, truly leveraged the potential of shared bikes as a solution to car trips, especially as a solution to access transit conveniently. Sacramento, for a minute before the pandemic, back when Jump existed, Jump was owned by Uber at the time, provided Jump Bike in their downtown and found that they had more Jump bike trips in their downtown than they had Uber car trips. Oh, wow. It really works. But It's stuck at its current level right now because the companies that are providing bike share and scooter share are all profit-driven companies. They're not going to expand bike share into communities that really need it if they don't think those communities have enough people with enough extra money to drop two to five bucks or eight bucks even on a shared bike or shared scooter. And so we're not going to see the potential of bike share and scooter share unless we are willing to support it with public funds as part of public transit, either fully publicly owned and operated or in a public-private partnership where the bikes and scooters are provided on terms set by the public. And we think those terms should equal the terms that it takes to ride the bus so that everyone knows that if they have a bus pass, it works as a bike path and it works the same way. And if they don't have a pass, but you pay a bus fare, that same fare will work on the bike. And then we'll really see this shared micromobility serve its potential as an equitable and safe and affordable transportation option that really does enhance public transit and reduce car trips. Well, so That's why is there a bill to, to kill this then? What they're trying to do might not totally kill bike share, but it definitely kills the potential that I just described. Mm -hmm. because they want to impose upon bike share and scooter share systems a requirement that they carry insurance for damage caused by the user, even if the company or organization or government agency that's providing the service had nothing to do with the damage. So it would be like could sue Avis for a crash that was caused by someone who rented their car. It doesn't make sense. There's no other insurance product like that where you can sue someone who had nothing to do with the damage caused. Because it's so unusual and because there's such a potential for fraud, there's really a serious doubt that any of these systems will be financially feasible. Like that insurance is going to be so expensive that they're just going to have to shut down. Right. When does this vote happen and how can our listeners get involved and help the cause of fighting Bill 371? It's in the Senate Insurance Committee right now. 
and it will probably have a hearing here in the next month or two. And then the Senate Insurance Committee members will get to vote on it. And that's when members can make a difference. And especially if you live in a district that is represented by someone on the insurance committee. Once again, if you're on our list, you'll definitely hear about it. That's what we do best is give people who follow us the chance to take the right action at the right time. Okay. Well, since we're talking about membership and all that, why don't you explain what the best way to join is and how to find out more about CalBike? Go to calbike.org. Just sign up. That's all you got to do. We will support your opportunities to take action, whether you give us money or not. But you need to at least tell us who you are. I want to ask your listeners to chime in with their opinion on something. I'm going to take a very quick poll on this bill. We called it the safety stop last year because we wanted to emphasize that it's about safety, that every place that has implemented this law has seen no increase in crashes and in some cases a decrease. Right, And so that's why we call the safety stop. You don't have to stop, but if you have to for safety, then you have to stop. That was the logic. Right. But we're thinking about changing the name this year and emphasizing respect, emphasizing yielding the right of way and sharing the road equally and calling it the take your turn bill, hmm. which means that on a bike, you have to take your turn. You right. may not blow through the intersection if it's not your turn. You don't have right. to stop, but you have to yield and take your turn. And I'm just curious if people think that that framing might be better. Right. It's certainly clearer. I've always heard that cyclists follow the law more often when that is the law than they do when it's just a regular stop sign, meaning that it's easier to follow the law by just following the right of way. Where did you hear that? I don't remember. I was on a call with a local assemblyman here, and I think it was one of the staffers for the assemblyman that said that. Because that makes sense to me, but I'd love to see that data. What happens is that on a bike, you approach a four-way stop, and there's a car already there, and you know that you have to stop and let that car go. But the driver is trying to be nice. The driver doesn't want you to have to stop. Right. So the driver is waving you through. Or maybe right. they're waving you through. Are they waving you through? Can I go? I don't yeah. know. Should I stop? I don't want to stop. It's that driver's turn. I want that driver to go right now. So that, so that I don't I can, have to stop. So that I don't have to stop and go around them. But I'm supposed to stop. So I guess I'm going to stop. Oh, wait, they're waving. No, they're not. And then you come to a stop. And then the driver sits there to make sure you're going to stop. And both of you end up wasting all this time. And energy, right? Yeah. Yeah. And energy. Exactly. When if the driver had just taken their turn, trusting that you were not going to blow in front of them and trusting that you would keep rolling and go behind them, everybody would be happy. Right. And one of the hard things about that is I don't stop. I just slow down. If I'm coming up to an intersection and there's a car there, I'll just slow down so I don't have to come to a complete stop. And that is confusing for the driver also. Right. They don't know what you're going to do because so many of us just go through when it's not our turn. Right. In part because that's what they want us to do, right? They're being nice and we appreciate it. Thank you very much. (laughs) And and if they uh, do, I always take it and wave and say thank you. And, And I think it's a good way that the driver and the cyclist are making eye contact and connecting. So it's hopefully safer when they make contact. Yeah, but I wish we didn't have to personally negotiate who goes first right. at every intersection. Right, you know? right. Yeah, I'm tailoring my trip because I fake a right turn. Oh, yeah, and then just oh, zip around. Yeah, yeah, uh, I signal right, the driver at the intersection, oh, he's turning right, I can go. And then they go quickly, 
And as soon as they go, then I cancel my right turn and <laughs> keep going. All these tricks we have, if they would just <laughs> change the law, you know. I also would like you to talk really quickly about the bike summit that's coming up. That's in April. Yes. April 6th through the 9th in Oakland. We have tons of scholarships available where if you can't afford the full ticket, you can get in at about half price. It's 32 breakout sessions on all kinds of topics. It's four fantastic locally sourced meals. It's an opening gala with bike movies. It's a fantastic bike party ride on Friday night. It's at a really neat event center in uptown Oakland. It's going to be fantastic. So That's- do check it out at howbike.org slash summit. Okay. And see if you can make it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Great. I think it was here last year. No, or was it two years ago? It was we, in LA. We, yeah, well, your math is off because everybody yeah. discounts a year these days. Right. <laughs> it was three years ago. Wow, wow. <laughs> Just before the pandemic. It was in 2019 wow, in okay. Los Angeles. And we usually hold it every two years. So it was originally scheduled to be last fall. And we postponed it to this spring because of the pandemic. Great. And we will have it again in the fall of 2023. And again, that's April 6th through 9th. 6th through the 9th. In Oakland, California. Great. Well, Dave Snyder, it's really good to meet you. I've been getting your emails for years and I always see your name at the bottom. So I've never had a chance to meet you. So I want to thank you for coming on Bike Talk and sharing all this information. But really, I want to thank you for all the work you do. I don't know why Los Angeles and California is behind the curve in getting more bicycle infrastructure built and on our built grid. I travel a fair amount. And whenever I do, I always take a bike share as a way to get around the city that I'm in or rent a bike if I have to. I was in Athens recently. And Athens, Greece is even better than Los Angeles. And Athens, Greece is not very good for a bike. It's certainly not like Barcelona or Paris or London. I believe strongly that the work you do is hugely important. And for people who are listening, calbike.org, calbike.org slash summit are all the ways that you can join CalBike and support Dave and his work. Dave, any last thing you want to add or say about the state of the union? Well, I just want to say thank you, Taylor Nichols, for hosting the show today and spreading the word to Bike Talk listeners. I really appreciate that. I think California can get to be like some of the European places you mentioned. I think we have to look overseas for the models. And that's part of what our budget request does is look at some of the success that they've had in other cities and building bikeway networks quickly because this country just takes too long. Yeah. And we're trying to get around that to get something done quickly for a change. We're taping this on March 9th and it's two weeks into the war in Ukraine and people are talking about gas prices and our reliance on Russian oil and things like that. And right in front of us is a solution. Yeah. So thank you very much. Thank you. You're listening to Bike Talk. Here's an interview on bikes and disability with writer and activist Sarah Dillon Brewer and blogger Wolf Simpson of the Two Wheeled Wolf blog.
I'm Sarah Dillon Brewer. I'm co-host of Bike Talk for this episode. I'm a writer and an activist. My work is from ancient history to very much today's issues. And I happen to be disabled. My disability is called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And right now it's really affecting my legs, shoulders, and hands. So that was a real hit to mobility. And that's why I got an e-bike. So I am so excited as a novice e-biker to have with me Wolf Simpson, Wolf on Two Wheels. How would you like to introduce yourself? My name is Wolf. I haven't been cycling for much for long. I started back cycling again about 10 years now after a long gap because of my disability. Mm. And it was after a major operation just before 210. And the physiotherapy team said, Try cycling. It might help you get back your legs walking again. And that's what I'd started doing. And at the time, normal cycles were fine. But yeah. my disability got worse and I had to go to e-bikes. And I started off with a basic one, but I couldn't find one that was suitable for me. So I right. built it myself. <laughs> that is so awesome. Did you have any experience in that kind of, uh, no. I mean, to me, engineering? None? I'm mechanically minded. If you look behind me, you see a bicycle uh-huh. hanging on the wall. Yes. That yes, is what myself from the frame. Wow. Do you like to describe that for the folks who just uh, have the audio? Basically, I call it my Roadrunner. It's an old uh-huh. Czech racing bike. And I bought just a frame and two rims, really. Uh-huh. And I just built it up gradually put on what I felt was comfortable to ride the bike on. So I built this bike because it's lightweight, so it's easier to cycle. You can literally pick it up with one hand and it's nice and light. And I actually done a 100 kilometer sponsored ride on it. And it's a beautiful wow. thing to ride. But about a year or so after I built it, my legs started getting worse. Mm. And they found out the condition was actually my spinal cord being mm. crushed. So it got worse and worse. And I've had to resort to easing up on the bikes. Changed my bike styles to a more sort of sit upright cruiser style because it's more comfortable. Mm-hmm. And legs kept getting worse. I had to have an operation and I had to stick now for e bikes. Right. But it's so awesome that you were able to build that. How did you get the idea that uh, you could do it yourself? Well, I'm a biker, have been for over 30 years. So ah. I've been taking motorcycles since my teens. I did used to ride bicycles in my teen years, and I used to tinker with them. Used to have a BMX, used to have fun games on those. Oh, yeah. One of the very, very early first-generation mountain bikes. Had to maintain that quite regularly because so they used to get eventually trashed. Sounds <laughs> like you've got quite a stable of bikes there. About how many do you have? I've got three now. Uh-huh, that you're yeah. using? The one up there I don't use. Oh, I, can't okay. it anymore. Huh? I just can't bear selling it because it's something I created. Yes. So well, it's, it's more hard, artwork. <laughs> I got my cruiser, my e-cruiser, which is mm-hmm. the one I mainly use. And I just bought myself a folding e-bike. Cool. So I can take it on the trains when I go visit parents or anywhere else where I can do short journeys. And it's a nice uh-huh. little step through one as well. It's a beautiful little thing. Oh, that's great. So it's not too heavy to take on the train? It's a little bit heavier because it's got the battery and everything, but it's bearable. Mm-hmm. And I've got it in a way so I can just about wheel it on its wheels when it's folded. That is so cool. Um... <laughs> it's very similar to my old folding bike, which is like a Bickerton. And I've done it so it's got its own center stand so I don't have to lower the saddle. Oh, that's nice. And that way I can use the saddle as a handle and just wheel it on its wheels. 
just tear it backwards and wheel it. Wow. That is clever. I totally want to steal that. In fact, I want to like pick your brain about everything. I can Um, send you links to that idea. A blog about my little folding bike that I used to have. Yeah. How I adapted it. Because I had to make it easier for me to use with a walking stick. Yes. With a walking stick, you've got to carry your bags and your bike. It ain't possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I've done it so that you can actually do it with a bag on the bike still, one on uh-huh. your shoulder, and you just wheel the bike as you're holding the stick in the other end. Oh, wow. Awesome. <laughs> actually, I have a friend who's just on Kickstarter she is designing backpacks with a holder for a cane or walking stick. Wow, she uh, did a cool idea. Is, yeah, that would be a good thing for us. I, I use folding um, ones that I could stick in the panniers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would be good. <laughs> Indeed. Well, since you're so mechanically minded, I got to say that I completely am not. Like, <laughs> my bike has three key positions. And I had to sit down and stare at it and go back and forth. I guess I'm a kinesthetic learner that way. You know, I have to do it in order to see it. Yeah, that's the better way because then you actually understand it. Yeah, well, for us non-mechanical types and novices, what are some of the things that you think everybody ought to know or get to know about Um, the bike? Each person has their own skill level. So some people can get it, some people can't. But the basic is punches. You get a puncher, if you can repair that, makes life a little bit easier. Repairs on your chain, on brake uh-huh. cables, cable repairs, stuff like that. They're the basics. More than that, it's going to be a little bit more difficult if you're out on the road because you need specialist yeah. tools. Yes, I can imagine. I know that they have services that are sort of like AAA. Do they have that in the UK? You talk about the, yeah, assistance. the auto assistance, yeah. yeah. We have the AA and the RAC in the UK, but with yeah. my bike insurance, I do have breakdown recovery. That's totally cool. And a few of them do it now. So especially with e-bikes now, where it's yeah. a little bit harder to just push a bike home when it's weighing 40 mm-hmm. kilos. It's a good mm-hmm. idea to have, especially when you're out to like 20, 30 miles away and your bike oh. breaks down. <laughs> Gosh, yes. And you've done some really long rides, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On a good day, I could do about 50 miles in total. Wow. The longest I've done is the 100-kilometer charity ride and I think I did total that day about 70 miles because I had to cycle to the station to get to where I was going to do the charity ride. Uh-huh. Which charity ride is called Night Rider London. 100 kilometres throughout the night around London. Yeah. You see all the tourist spots and everything at night time. You start at midnight. Wow. And I got back just around nine o'clock in the morning. So that was a long awesome. time, but it was wonderful. How many people do, do that? thousands wow they have to set you off in groups because there's so many of you uh-huh and you constantly see it just groups of cyclists as you're going around the route you can go as fast or as slow as you like it doesn't matter wow so it was that would great. be so cool to be absolutely surrounded by cyclists like oh, i yeah. think i would feel invincible <laughs> and, and also wonderful bikes as well i did it in 2014 there wasn't many e-bikes back then Mm-hmm. So you saw every different style of bikes possible. Um, there was even one hand cyclist I did see who had two batteries on his wheelchair device. And mm-hmm. they basically used that to help him get round, like a pedal assistant on a hand cycle. Right. And absolutely fantastic. Yeah, so, that's wonderful. Were you on your cruiser for that? No, I was actually on Roadrunner. Awesome. That, that's like his main ride, that was. And I was literally just after I built it as well. 
Uh-huh. Uh, it was like almost maiden voyage. What a wonderful <laughs> one. I yes. so enjoyed reading your blog. <laughs> I understand that you had a town council who got interested in a video on it. The critique of an intersection, a particularly nasty one. And I was wondering if you had anything that you would want to say about what our cities, our towns, our local authorities should be doing to help encourage biking and make it safer. Actually, I don't say encourage. I never encourage mm-hmm. cycling. I want to ah. enable cycling. Uh, yes. If you enable cycling, people will cycle. If you have mm-hmm. the good quality infrastructure, people will get on their bikes and they'll ride it. If you just sit around mm-hmm. and say, well, go cycling. There's a nice little shared path over there. And they're going to, mm-hmm. uh, the car's easier. But if you make it so there's proper protected cycle infrastructure, they will turn around and say, well, oh, actually, it'd be easier if I just take the bike. It's nice and safe. Mm-hmm. And you can nip down to the shops. Around here, it's very hit and miss where you go, where you've got good quality cycle structure or none at all. The problem is more than anything, they say encourage cycling. They have a little bit of shared path or paint on the road as a cycle lane. But then it stops and you're back on the road with all the cars and the drivers and it just puts people off because it's not yeah. a proper network. Well, and it can be frustrating. Like the number of times I've written in to reporters and said, okay, transit is not a matter of cars versus disabled people. <laughs> and it's not a matter of cyclists versus disabled people. And it's no. not a matter of cars versus bikes, even necessarily. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people would think the way I did, I sold my car and got the bike as a replacement for it. No registration fees, no insurance costs, no gas costs, yeah. no petrol, which is just absolutely <laughs> yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Have you actually been able to get any changes made in any of these challenging intersections that you've run into? Or how do you deal with them when you encounter them? I find in this area, they are very car centric. They seem to love their cars. The county council loves Mm -hmm. building for people who drive. And it's a very hard push to get actual good quality cycling structure. We're lucky if we can get shared paths, but they're such low quality not often wide enough and you have so many junctions that it slows you down using them because you have to yeah. stop the time you get to junction to make sure you don't get hit by someone turning a corner in their cars. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. And yep. other places, it's dirt tracks. Depending on the weather, sometimes it's just not possible to use them. There's a nice route that goes right down the middle of my area, which mm-hmm. is about three miles, and it's all dirt track. It's called Grimm's Dyke, oh. and it went the time. It's just not possible to use it. And it's supposed yeah. to be a shared, fully accessible route. No one can use it because you have to have waders to get through, almost like a bog. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's a spot on a regular route that I travel that's hilarious to me because there's a bike lane and the bike lane stops, just ends. But there's a little paved thing and there's a sign that says bikes may use ramp. And it's at a 90 degree angle from the road and it's incredibly narrow. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, well, they may, but I don't think that they can. And then I'm not sure that they would want to, because on the other side of it, it is exactly what you described. It is just like an indentation in the dirt. It is an invitation to off-roading. 
Oh, my bike is almost built for off-roading. It's got nice, chunky, all-terrain tyres. It's got mud guards. It's built for the terrain that I have to cycle in. It's ideal for the roads. It's ideal for off-roads. But That's it's excellent. still hard work. <laughs> what have you done to make it more accessible with your particular physiology, your well, disability and ability? The bike. Yeah. Well, basically, I've got myself a Trek Electra, Electra Townie. Mm-hmm. And it's basically designed so you can actually put your feet on the ground without actually having to get off the saddle. Oh, that's pedals are Pedals are slightly further forwards. It's what they mm-hmm. call flat foot technology. So therefore, Very I cool. can actually not only pedal my bike without getting off the saddle, but I can actually walk my bike without getting off yes. the saddle. So if I have to go anywhere where uh, no cycling, I just put my feet on the ground and just walk it. That's <laughs> so, so handy. Yeah, sometimes I get nervous on the dismount from the bike. I find it much easier to do while moving. But because I've only just started biking again, and before that, there really was no safe way for me to get any exercise at all. Because the other big thing that I can do is pools, and those are all indoors, and those have all been closed because of the hydrotherapy. Yeah. Hydrotherapy, which is actually very useful. Oh, it's wonderful. (laughs) Absolutely wonderful. But all closed during the pandemic. All physio treatment was all closed. So I was doing physio when the pandemic started and it all just Mm -hmm. stopped. And it was actually my bike's the only thing I kept going. And how was your (laughs) cycling during that time? I literally was just starting to cycle when the pandemic hit. We started, it was April. So that would be in five months after my back operation. So I was still Mm. recovering from the operation. And And you were able to bike. I started cycling in January. Wow. Literally on the e-bike's first ride, because I was literally building the e-bike while recovering from the spine op. Wow. It took me <laughs> over a week. <laughs> I can only do a bit at a time until my yeah. back tells you, no, that's enough. That's all you can do today. <laughs> I probably did like half hour, hour a day and slowly built it, literally just sitting on the floor, just doing a bit here, a bit there, and just took the time. <laughs> I had nothing else to do, so there was no hurry. Yeah. Well, it's uh, occupational therapy, isn't it? And it kept me busy, so I wasn't bored. And January, just before the pandemic, I took it out for its first ride. Did about 10, 15 miles, but it was on full assist, and that bank actually drained mm. like crazy. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I drained that battery so much because I barely do 10 miles an hour on it. But it was uh-huh. nice to be back on the bike. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, especially when things are more shut down, light and air become even more important. Yeah. That was something that was really frustrating for me before I got the e-bike and while I was in that waiting period before my new toy finally comes because my disability had hit my hands and all of my mobility aids that I had involved my hand, yeah. a cane or walking stick, a walker or a manual wheelchair. So all of a sudden I couldn't go anywhere at all. Yeah. And, and so when I realized that I might be able to ride an e-bike and I did a test ride, it was like the sky had opened to me. Yeah, I know that feeling. I know that feeling well. Before I got my first e-bike, what we had was called the Cycle Show in London, where they display all the bikes and everything. And all the stands I went to were literally e-bikes. That's all I was interested in, e-bikes. Uh-huh. So I wanted to see what they were like. 
and they were quite still early in the designs back then because we're talking 2014 sort of time. Yeah. So I've chased quite a lot since then. And the first one I found that was suitable for me was actually a little bike, very similar design to that one there, mm-hmm. uh, with straight bars instead of drop bars, mm-hmm. and a small battery. So it was very lightweight and a little two-speed hub gear. So mm-hmm. very basic. And I took it out for a little ride on their little course they've got, and I just fell in love with it. First mm. ride I took it for, because it was something I could ride. And mm-hmm. I actually bought a second-hand one a year later with help with crowdfunding. Very so I cool. couldn't afford it. I'm on a low income, so I couldn't afford it. So I used crowdfunding, and I was surprised mm-hmm. how many people helped. Oh, that's a wonderful thing to hear. Oh, it was lovely. I was humbled to have so many people, people I didn't know, putting lots of money in, 50 pounds, 100 pounds, some of them. I was gobsmacked. And when I got Mm -hmm. enough to get a secondhand one, I went for it. And That is so great. I actually sold it in the end to build the e-cruiser I've got Uh because I couldn't afford to have two. So I sold that one to build my next one. Mm -hmm. So the money got put into keeping me going still. That's fabulous. Mutual aid (laughs) is such a wonderful thing. I'd love to see it. But you seem like a person who really gives a lot yourself. Like you've been (laughs) building out bikes for transit in Africa, as I understand. I've been helping with a charity called Recycle, which is based north of Colchester. And I was a volunteer with them when I was out of work. And we were basically preparing secondhand cycles. Mm -hmm. We shipped abroad to Africa to be used over there as forms of transport. Yeah. And also any spare parts from bicycles that couldn't be sent off because they were not in a fit state. They were stripped mm-hmm. down for parts. And the parts then shipped over there and they were actually creating an economy by repairing the bikes. Yes. And it was a wonderful cause. And the Night Rider London charity ride was actually for them. I was actually that is that is so cool. And some of my bikes have actually been donated to them when I've sort of worn them out or decided to go upgrade to the next one. And I've even bought bikes from them. I mean, I've probably had so cool. six or eight bikes over the past 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. I mean, my African friends, a lot of them bike both in the cities. You have yeah. like major metropolises that are humming with film industries and so on. But also in the countryside, I know people who are doctors and nurses who have to make a circuit of at least 50 miles in order to get to them all. And so having a bicycle is just form of transport. Yeah, it is. And you don't need as much infrastructure to ride it on. So it's ideal. It's really cool. Well, what do you think other people should know about e-bikes and how to make them more accessible? E-bikes themselves more accessible. Cost is definitely the biggest uh-huh. factor. You see the government's putting money into helping out people getting electric cars. Yes. They should be the same for electric bikes. Oh, yes. I mean, Yeah, they, there's they, a proposal to do that right now. In yeah, they thought about it here, but it's seeing it done that would be more important. So yes. I see some action. I'm not interested in the talk. I just want to see the action. Uh-huh. <laughs> Hold their feet to the fire. Well, I keep talking about all this stuff about improving cycling, encouraging uh-huh. cycling, but it's the action that I'm more concerned about. Because if you don't see it, it's just all talk. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, honestly, I do think that your blog is making a difference. I mean, uh, it's certainly it. educating people. For it. 
Uh, they do many uh, blogs, but I do try and make sure they count. <laughs> well, they definitely do. And I have learned an awful lot about the kinds of advocacy that I want to do locally yeah. by looking at areas that you have encountered as barriers or frustrations or even dangers. Yeah. I think that in a lot of ways, disabled people are sort of canaries in a coal mine for cyclists <laughs> in general, because when you come to an intersection like that, if someone's coming from a mobility lane, which is where I am, the bike lanes are intended for wheelchairs too. We're working on um, that one, because believe it or not, our cycle lanes, you're not allowed to use mobility scooters. Oh my gosh. Literally, the law states that, and we are trying to change it. <laughs> We're ignoring mm-hmm. the law. We yes. see someone using, but yeah. they can actually get pulled over and get tickets from stuff, which I think is mm-hmm. out of order. And we are trying to change those rules because I think, why should they not be allowed to use them? But Indeed. yeah, there are mobility lanes for anyone who needs to use any form of active travel on wheels. Yes. And that's a very cool thing. I wish more disabled people knew. I didn't know for a long time. And so when I saw a bike lane go in, I thought, oh, that's more territory that I have to cross to get to a smaller spot that I can actually travel on. And that was not the case and really made a difference for me. But I realized as I was thinking about bike safety at intersections like that, that I was still in my manual wheelchair. Coming out on a wheelchair, I have no lights. I don't have reflective things attached to it. It's just a plain old wheelchair. And I'm also at a lower level. Maybe a recumbent cyclist would be at that level. But both recumbent cyclists and people in wheelchairs, I think, are kind of unexpected for people who are really car-centric. So if an intersection is unsafe for bikes, it is really, really, really unsafe for wheelchairs. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's something in which we can kind of make common cause with. And I'm hoping that as disabled bikers, we can do that. We can see the commonalities and where our interests intersect and say, We're also campaigning for infrastructure, not just for your ability, but for Mm -hmm. age as well. Because you're going to have youngsters like three to five years old up to 80 year olds using the infrastructure. It's got Mm -hmm. to be suitable for them as well because they're not going to be as fast across these junctions. They're not going to be looking as regularly as someone who's probably a little bit older or younger to which age group you're looking at. So it's got to be for any type of age or ability. Yeah. If it's suitable for someone as young as five, then it's normally going to be suitable for everyone else, whether they're older or need more assistance for their traveling on wheels. Mm. That's a powerful way to think about it. Uh, (laughs) One of my personal heroes is a lawmaker named John Lewis, and he used to talk about making good trouble. It seems like it would be worth making good trouble to get accessibility for all ages. Are there any particular adaptations that are really helpful for that? Adaptations as in... Features in the transit? No, I can think of at the moment. It can be a real challenge, but putting our heads together yeah. is the first step. I mean, one of the things we have seen on crossroads, where you've got mm-hmm. traffic lights, they have, some of them, their own light phase for cycling. Mm. So basically, mm-hmm. cycling has its own phase, so all the roads are stopped, and then the cyclists can cross. That is very cool. 
And that way you've got no conflict with anyone going in the same direction or trying to turn because it's just the people who cycle. Mm-hmm. And that's normally done on the areas where they've got proper cycle infrastructure leading up to that junction. Mm-hmm. You want ideas for best infrastructure? Just look what the Netherlands do. I think it's the best thing. Oh, my brother lived there for several years. <laughs> Lucky you. Yeah. And, yeah, and cycled. Oh, my gosh. The structures that they have there. And yeah. also the manufacturers. I looked up Von Rom, I think. Oh, beautiful machines. Yeah, and they have the bicycles that can carry people in conventional wheelchairs. Yeah, I've ridden like, them. Really? Ridden, yeah. We have a scheme going on called Wheels for All. And uh-huh. it's basically where you go to like a venue or sports center or a track where you have all these different cycles where three wheeled, two wheeled, mm-hmm. pedaled, hand, even the Van Ram, which oh, I think it was called now, Shat, I think it's called. Uh huh. It starts with a C H A T and it's called Shat. Yes. And basically, I had to have a go on it because I had my back operation. I couldn't cycle them. So I actually tried out the ones as a passenger. Oh, awesome. I actually got in a wheelchair on this van ram and I went round the track. Uh-huh. Uh, it was beautiful. It was like a flying carpet feeling. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, actually, I can see that. Uh, there is actually a blog about it in my blog site. Oh, my gosh. I have to look. <laughs> I have to look and other people have to look too, I think. Yeah. So where are we going to find your blog? Well, it's literally called Two Wheeled Wolf. All right. Two Wheeled Wolf. And is that me. numeral two or the word two? Uh, I think it's numeral. <laughs> okay, so we'll, I'm going to try both ways. Well, I just Google two wheeled wolf and it comes up. Absolutely, awesome. <laughs> I will do that. And it was so wonderful talking with you. Is there anything else that you want to just share that we haven't touched on? Oh, no, I can't think of anything offhand. No. Okay. <laughs> Well, thank you so much again for doing this. This is my first interview in real time. (laughs) I've done interviews for print, but never for radio. I've done print. I've done videos recorded in front of you, and then they edit it like a uh, TV program sort of thing. Right. But I've never done live like this. This is all new to me as well. This is the first meeting I've ever done. (laughs) Well, they'll be editing it. (laughs) Um, but it's wonderful to be able to see your face while we're talking and that just doesn't happen (laughs) well thanks again take care and i hope we'll be in touch i hope we'll run across each other yeah well i'm on twitter so you can find me quite easily (laughs) awesome well i'll be seeing you there and on your blog You're listening to Bike Talk. Next, an interview with two tweet authors on their viral bike Twitter tweets. One's a thread to drivers who wave cyclists through intersections. The other on e-bike negativity from able-bodied male sports cyclists. So I have Tab Combs and Kate Rosen on the Zoom tab. You tweeted about drivers waving you through intersections. Do you want to read yours? You know, I was a little bit of background. I was riding home from dropping my daughter off from school and um, I got to a a four-way stop and there were three cars already there and one of the drivers appeared to be waving me through and I was frustrated so I went home and got on Twitter and I wrote good morning to drivers who stop and give cyclists the right-of-way in intersections can we chat when I'm on a bike it's awesome to be acknowledged and to know you're putting my needs ahead of yours thank you however 
and then I go into a, um, a thread that's about 10 tweets long. I'll just read through the thread. It's probably sure. quicker than trying to riff. Um, so the first one is there's several reasons why we shouldn't and often can't take you up on your generosity. One, we often can't actually see you waving us through. Windshields are meant to see out of, not into. And if we do see you make a hand movement, we really can't always tell what it means. Two, we might be focused on a bigger threat. You're committed to not running us over, but what about the driver behind you? Will they zip around you on the outside and smash us to bits? It happens. Three, we don't want to be seen as scoff laws. There's a huge misconception out there that bicyclists think they're above the law. This notion is wildly incorrect and dangerous to boot. Cyclists are actually more law-abiding road users than drivers, according to some studies, but there are tricks that our minds play on us that make us more likely to notice bicyclists' offenses than drivers. Plus, many, quote, rules of the road don't actually make sense when you're on a bike, and following those rules can put us at greater risk of harm than not following them. When someone sees, someone in a car sees someone on a bike blow through an intersection when it's not their turn, that driver will likely think two things. One, if they can't follow the rules of the road, then they shouldn't get to be on the road. And two, if they don't care about their safety, why should I? When those thoughts get thought enough times by enough people, conditions for people on bikes start to get really hairy, which is the opposite of what you want, clearly, or you wouldn't have been so generously trying to give us your right of way. So here's my request. At stop signs, stick to standard right of way conventions. Don't wave us through, no matter how badly we look like we could use it. Note that this does not mean to run us over if we screw up, because we all do screw up sooner or later and blow through a stop sign. Direct your generosity and inherent goodness towards lobbying elected leaders to invest more money in safe, connected, and comprehensive bicycle infrastructure, like protected intersections that provide safe passage for all users. And when you hear other motorists complain about entitled scofflaw cyclists, set them straight. Thank you. Wow. How many different ideas would you say are, are in that? There were four main ones. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the, the one that we can't we can't always see what you want or understand your intentions um, and so it's easier just to have a standardized process that everyone understands um, the idea that there are bigger threats that as a cyclist we're more aware of things that will kill us than drivers are because we're much more vulnerable um, the idea that we're we have to be better like we, we have to have to do things more correctly we have to be more law abiding more careful um, than anybody mm -hmm. else on the road um, in order to combat that, you know, that impression that people have that, that you know, bicyclists are just careless, reckless jerks. Mm -hmm. um, and, yeah. and then, you know, just, just the idea that, that like, there's this, this inherent goodness in people that often comes through and trying to do each other favors. But if those favors don't work, for you know the person the intended recipient don't get annoyed at them <laughs> try and understand what why did what i try to do not work how can i be more useful and that was really the tone i was trying to set is not like an us versus them but a hey you know i realize we're not all at each other's throats out here you're trying to do something good for me can i shape that can i shape that generosity and that goodwill into something that actually is going to help me how many likes did it get it got 352. I mean, that's a lot of likes. 
Yeah, I mean, really, it, was, really big one. it was pretty big for me at the time. I've had another Twitter thread that's gone even more viral since then. And so my whole standard has been changed. But this one was about the biggest thing I'd ever done. And all it was was me just sort of blowing off steam about having maybe have been waved through an intersection. That moment when somebody, when a driver waves me, it's just, I have a strong image. I have a strong feeling about it, you know, because it's sort of like you're being told what to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think it's like, to me, it's like, say you're on a diet, you're working really hard on your diet and somebody else doesn't know that. And they come up with a piece of you know, cheesecake <laughs> and, and they're trying to be really nice to you and it's destroying everything that you worked for. Um, and so that's, that's how I see it. Like they just start really relating to the situation that I'm in. They're trying to be nice. Um, and, and I'm just like, no, I'm not taking you up on that. I'm not going to eat that cake. And then they're like, well, why not? You're so ungrateful. And <laughs> so like that, it doesn't irk me um, that they're trying to control me. It just irks me because I know they're going to be mad at my lack of, of, of gratitude for their sacrifice. Mm. It just does seem like that's going to follow. If you don't take the wave, you're going to irritate them. Yeah, and they're going to show it by stomping on the gas and blowing by you and glaring at you as they pass. And I mean, not always. <laughs> Most of the time, they just go on through. Um, but, you know, if somebody sits there and waits a while and you just kind of have a standoff, eventually they're going to get mad and drive off. And I understand why. You know, because like they're sitting there waiting for me to take them up on their offer. And there's no way to communicate as individuals in this situation. There's no clear way for me to say, no, you go. I'm going to follow the law because it makes more sense to me. Um, like mm -hmm. you can't you can't have that conversation when they're inside a car. And so I get right. I get why they drive off in a huff. I wish mm -hmm. there were a way to better say, well, like basically to read the tweet thread to them in the moment. And you can, yeah, that's why we have tweet threads. Kate. Hi. You and Tab know each other virtually. We do. We have a uh, mutual friend who Tab knows from grad school and I know from bike advocacy in Connecticut. I saw you chime in, Tab, on Kate's responses for this. Kate, can you say what it was? So my tweet was, e-bike negativity from able-bodied male sports cyclists needs to stop. Whatever point you think you're making, you aren't. Next time I'll post the screenshots and let bike Twitter eat you. <laughs> And that would happen. Oh, absolutely. What, was it a bunch of tweets that got you going on this or one in particular? There was one in particular that kind of pushed me over the edge. In Connecticut right now, we are making a huge push um, for a piece of legislation that would add e-bikes um, to a pre-existing electric vehicle rebate program. Mm -hmm. And it's it's been a few years in the making to get to where we are now. And... There's an interesting vibe from able-bodied male sports cyclists who are not participating in advocacy, but will kind of, in subtle and not subtle ways, try and damage the efforts. And mm. I'm curious about kind of where that comes from in them. I suspect that it's kind of uh, not wanting to share the road with anyone who falls under the category of other. Is there a tweet of like that that you remember, or is it just a general category of tweets? Um, it was a specific. It wasn't. It was on a different platform than Twitter. I know most of us just kind of live there, um, but it was. It was pointing out um, that e-bikes are not basically as green a form of transportation as people think, and um, 
I think when compared to internal combustion engines and the footprint of even electric vehicles, it felt like a uh, kind of dubious at best argument. I remember not maybe so much from Twitter, maybe a couple times on Twitter, but in real life or at the start of e-bikes talking about how they're cheating. E-bikes are cheating. I think Tab can speak to this too. I don't see that argument as much anymore just because of how inclusive it's been. And I think bicyclists as a group are starting to realize that having more of us is better for all of us Mm -hmm. in -hmm. terms of advocacy and kind of making changes to road design, you know, more is better in that situation. So it's not the cheating argument that you're finding. You're, you're getting stuff like it's not that environmental. I think it's almost like a little more insidious than that. Like, I think it's undermining the newly created power base of women advocates in this transportation space. So I don't know that, like, I think the argument initially might've been cheating, but now I think it, it's, it's more about having to share space with different audiences. And you got a huge number of likes. Um, (laughs) It was, it's certainly more than I've ever gotten on a tweet before. Um, So I ended up muting the thread just because it would have, absolutely ruined my notifications for two days. And so you muted it, not because they were bad, but just because there were so many? There were so many. It it received over 2000 likes, 97 retweets, and then a lot of quote tweets. I've, I've gone in twice since then just to kind of get a sense of the comments. And that's where I think that the cheating argument isn't kind of what people are talking about anymore. I think there was a lot of pro e-bike sentiment. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't anybody who jumped on and disagreed with you. I think there was some clarification because I think there is kind of still some conflict with trail spaces and e-bikes. And I hope to see that kind of work itself out, but that seems to oh, kind yeah. of be the only space that still harbors that. a little bit of negativity. And then that's the one that Tab jumped in on. Yes. Yeah. I am. Um... I I did <laughs> I didn't restrain myself very well. I saw a tweet um, that just it was someone trying to say, well, there's here's the problem with e-bikes on trails, and and I I knew the original context um, for Kate's tweet. I had also seen you know the the comment um, on the the other platform, um, and so I knew that this was the context was about road bicycling. Um, and so I chimed in to say that the beef here is about road cyclists trying to ostracize people using e-bikes for mobility. And the majority of e-bike use and the majority of the benefit um, in, in terms of mobility of e-bikes is going to be e-bikes on the road. And so I, I just tried to redirect the conversation. Um, but I also took issue with the fact that <laughs> this person was trying to e-bike or gatekeep e-bike use on trails um, because... Mm-hmm. You know, it, whether you're riding an e-bike or not, it's, it's a tool to be able to get out and enjoy nature um, mm-hmm. and enjoy, enjoy a recreation, a, you know, a sport that a lot of people get a lot out of. Um, all people biking cause damage to trails. The longer you bike, the more damage you'll cause probably, but that doesn't mean that the, the answer is to eliminate a certain kind of, of bicycle and a certain kind mm-hmm. of people who are more likely to, to use that sort of bicycle. So for me, just bringing up mm-hmm. the trails aspect was it still had, you know, still had ableist undertones. This is for me. It's not for people like you. Absolutely. 
Yeah, I definitely piped in. You know, the idea when people say, well, e-bikes are fine if you have a disability or something under certain circumstances. And I push back on that um, because, you know, we all have times when we're tired and we still need to get somewhere. Or maybe your knees are, are a little bit worn out. You wouldn't call yourself disabled, but you could really benefit from having an e-bike. Or maybe you just live a long way from where you need to go. Um, the, the ableism... Um, and just you know, saying, well, e-bikes should only be for those people with, with disabilities, invisible disabilities that I can gatekeep for them. Um, it's, it's just really, really a tired argument and it needs to die. I think we're at an inflection point in kind of this broader conversation about multimodal transportation. And I think it's, I think it's a point where as a group, we're, we're doing that stretching. I just think we need to make sure that we're doing it in an inclusive way. And Tab brings up a really excellent point that, you know, the last vestiges of anti-e-bike sentiment are based in this idea that people should be able to judge what people are using as their transportation method or trail usage method based on what they think they can see or perceive about the operator. And, you know, to the extent that we can build a mindset around that of, you know, uh, minding your own business in a loving way. Um, I think that we'd all be better for it. Do you think of Twitter now as being a platform for your ideas? I enjoy Twitter immensely. I think it's a, it's a great playground of the mind when you've got a nicely curated list of people that you follow. But I also am very much looking forward to taking a break when the e-bike rebate legislation gets passed here in Connecticut. My local people are probably looking forward to less e-bike uh, 110% of the time on my feed, as am I. <laughs> Thank you both for coming on. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Catch yourself a bike. Oh, catch yourself a bike.